0: These are adventures for people who really want to immerse themselves in the wilds of the Galapagos. We hear so many times, you know, the story of people saying, ever since I read and studied about the Galapagos in high school, it has been a dream of mine. And these are, you know, people in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that made this lifelong dream come true. These are adventures for people with that kind of passion. And if you haven't heard of the Galapagos before, If you love the outdoors, if you love wildlife, if you are in for these magical wildlife encounters, um, then the Galapagos is
1: for you. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah! And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. I love doing this podcast. I love chatting with my guests and try really hard to find takeaways for you, dear listener. I enjoy sleuthing about for guests. Some bring different angles to standard topics. Some guests are brilliant, probably standalone guests. I've also been doing this long enough that I get approached by guests asking to be on the show. Some of those I really can't find an angle for a conversation. Some are, hey, yeah, I'd love to have you on podcast, And some are, yes, 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 thank you for finding me. Today's guest is one of the latter. He is the son of an amazing boomer woman. He'll share her story with us but I also can't wait to hear about their business because it centers around an area of the world many of us are enchanted with, even though we've never been there. think Charles Darwin. Aha. Are you curious? Let's jump in. Fernando Diaz, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast.
0: Thank you, Agnes. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, Fernando, tell our listeners where you were born and raised.
0: All right. So I was fortunate to be born and raised in the enchanted Galapagos Islands, better known to the world as the place where Darwin formulated his uh, theory of evolution. And uh, it all started from a trip that my mother took when she was just 16 in 1969. And I became sort of like, and my two brothers like modern day Mowgli's, you know, (laughs) raised by the animals of Galapagos in close proximity. And that really just determined the path of our lives, you know, in a direct and indirect way. And here we are today.
1: Now you talk about the path of your life. Dolores Gengotena de Diez is your mother. She started this company. Now this, the yes. whole thing started at age 16. Is that correct? For her? Yes.
0: So exactly. My, my mother has always had an interest in the sciences. And, uh, one of her favorite subjects at school was biology. And she had a biology professor that when she was just 16 told her about this magical place that was, you know, belonged to her country, to Ecuador. And it was the Galapagos Islands. Now, this is 1969. So the Galapagos National Park that we know today had recently been established. But when I say established, they basically built very, very basic infrastructure, but there were no guides, there was no trails. There was very little regulation. It was just starting. And, uh, you know, there were very few residents, permanent residents in the Galapagos at the time, literally like less than a thousand. And there was this old Navy warship that had been refit into a cargo vessel that would sail once every 15 days from the continent to the Galapagos to, you know, take supplies and provisions for the people who lived there. And that was the only way to get to the Galapagos. And I don't know how. I think it's my mother's personality. But if you have children of your own, can you imagine your 16-year-old daughter coming up to you and saying she wants to get on an old Navy ship and sail for four days out to these mysterious islands and with a group of friends, uh, you know, at just 16. So, But somehow she convinced my grandparents and they set off her and four other friends all girls there are, there are some photos that we have on the website of them just standing in the beaches of Galapagos at the age of 16 so it was just girl versus wild and she says you know she recalls vividly you know the journey from the mainland to the Galapagos was really like a nightmare right it was this very uncomfortable navy ship the the crew quarters where they slept were extremely hot so they ended up spending most of the time on the top deck. Toilets were literally like buckets that they would need to then toss out you know, overboard. And it was just very, very basic and rudimentary. Right? But they, they didn't care. They were there for the adventure. So once they got there, about three and a half days later, it's not like today, right, where you have an itinerary and everything is set and your guide tells where to go. The Navy needed to do their own thing right? And they needed to take the provisions to all these places. And they basically would drop them off at an island at around 9am with a bag of oranges, maybe some sandwiches and some water. And, you know, they said, we will pick you up right here at 5pm. So if you can imagine being left, you know, on the island all day, these girls, um, And that was it, you know? And they just started wandering in the island. So there were no trails. They just walked wherever they could. And my mother says that her first impression of just, you know, disembarking on the first island and then a herd of iguanas just running up to her, furious. Um, And she would, you know, even scared. Like, what are these, you know, normally she's used to like iguanas in the mainland running away from you and hiding, you know, in the bushes. These guys are coming up to you, they're more curious about you than you are about them. And then she realized that over the years, the the whalers, the pirates had fed them the oranges. So they were actually, you know, after the oranges that they had brought. And so they started feeding the oranges to the iguanas. Today now this is strictly prohibited, but uh let's go back. It's 1969. And then, you know, they wandered off in the islands, every animal approached them. They would be walking in some points where the, the just the pathway was so narrow and there was a bird nesting there that wouldn't even move when they had to step over it. it just looked at them and the sea lions approached them and it was everything that happened in those i believe they spent about four or five days you know out in the wild in these islands you know every day being dropped off and picked up and then they they spent some time in the inhabited islands but it changed her. It changed her forever. And so she put it in her mind that she would have to somehow make Galapagos a part of her life, permanent part of her life. And um, it wasn't until about almost a decade later that she met my father. And he was uh, just a natural entrepreneur. He was doing cement business and car dealership in Ecuador. But when he took... When she took him to the Galapagos for the first time, he also fell in love with the place, and that is how Quasar started in um, 1986. You know, they they got married, and the Quasar basically pioneered high-end yacht cruising in the island So that was the beginning.
1: Okay, I'm going to back the bus up a little bit. I mean, you talked about you know <laughs> parents allowing a 16 year old girl to wander off. That'd be my dream. Am I correct that your mother is the youngest daughter of Dolores Gengotena y Gijón, uh, who was a conservationist and former first lady to probably your grandfather when he was president of Ecuador?
0: That is correct, yes. <laughs> I don't know how you found that part.
1: <laughs> Everybody has a story. I just love it.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and And today, you know, the house where they were born, um, in the old town of Quito has been restored and turned into a luxury hotel. It's called Casa Gangotena. Um, so that was wonderful. You know, those old homes um, in the, normally in the old parts of the city, they're so costly like to maintain. They had, you know, 20 and more rooms. You know, what, would you do that with the way modern life is today? So it was either like a, a museum or a hotel. And today the wonderful thing about being a hotel is that you can actually relive some of the history there. So yeah, that is the history of my mother in Ecuador.
1: That's pretty exciting. Okay, so this dream that your parents foresaw to the amazing company that your mom oversees today is another story. Can you tell us a little bit about that development, please?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the Arrived to the islands, there was one company offering tours, a company that till, still exists today. Uh, but it was very uncomfortable when they toured the islands. They, it was a, like a very old boat. The um, facilities weren't private, so you, they were shared. There was no air conditioning. And um, they thought, you know, there has to be a more comfortable way to see these majestic islands. And that's literally how it started. So Quasar Expeditions pioneered IEND, yacht cruising in the Galapagos Islands in 1986, Mm -hmm. and they realized very quickly that through tourism, it was really the only way to preserve these islands, right? So, well, the best way to preserve them is probably to leave them alone and not allow, you know, anybody to visit them and just, and, but, you know, that wasn't going to happen. There were already people living there. So how else can you educate the world about such a beautiful place, make them love it and make them protect it, right? Because people don't protect what they don't know. And so it was all about bringing people to see Galapagos, having them relive those adventures that they had lived and really falling in love with the places they had and telling other people about it and, you know, maybe even donating to the different organizations that were there. And that is how really the Galapagos has been preserved to the way it is today. You know, very not much different than what she experienced in 1969. The animals still do not fear you. Of course, there is more tourism in the visitor site, so maybe they're a little bit more spread out and things like that. But the animals in Galapagos is just it's crazy. It's crazy the way they are. And many people say, you know, when they visit Galapagos, that the animals there are different from anywhere else in the world. But if you think about it, they are as animals once were everywhere in the world, before we started hunting them, killing them, invading their habitat. In Galapagos, this never happened. You know, humans never had this sort of naive sort of, or sort of, uh, I don't know, bad interaction with the wildlife there. They So the animals never learned to fear them. And this is how wildlife once was everywhere in the world. So just seeing that is and experiencing it yourself, having these wildlife encounters that are life-changing, that is what the Galapagos is about.
1: One of the questions that I have on my list here was just whether or not people could go to the Galapagos without a tour company. And that's not to bypass your company, but I was actually thinking that tour companies make sure that the land and its occupants are treated with the respect and care that they need and deserve. I mean, you hear about people taking Chunks of Stonehenge and chipping bits off the Great Pyramids. You know you don't want that stuff happening with people just running loose on the Galapagos. Exactly,
0: exactly. And but to answer your question, you you can still do that. You know you can still go if you stay at one of the port towns. Um, but the port towns are outside of the Galapagos National Park. So ninety-seven percent of the Galapagos Archipelago is part of the Galapagos National Park, and three percent is you know, these inhabited areas, the port towns. So you can go and you stay at a hotel there, but if you wanna tour anything inside the Galapagos National Park, it always has to be with the tour company and the National Park Certified Guide. One great thing about Galapagos is that you know, the guides are actually employees of the Galapagos National Park, not of the tour company. So even though we've had guides working for us for over 20 years, these guys technically you know, are still employees of the park, so they owe the the respect and everything the park comes first, and that's really what keeps these islands magical. You know, they they follow those rules and of course they choose the companies that they work for, but in the end they're all the guides are aligned under the same entity, the same principles, the same rules, uh, and they, they're all local, so they have a very deep passion for you know their home and showing people from all over the world their home.
1: I find it a little Amusing, shall I say that somewhere like the Galapagos should be the example for like every nature department, whatever the federal departments are in every country of the world, to have all those people work for the parks, for the land, uh, for the country, and not just all these random companies that run around countries like Canada, the US, etc.
0: Exactly. And no, but to, to, just to your point, I guess, so that, you know, Ecuador is a third world country. And Not many things there work the way they should, right? But we as Ecuadorians are extremely proud of the Galapagos National Park and how it works and how it has always worked extremely well. Uh, Today, I live in Chile, in Santiago, and I know for a fact that, you know, the Chilean government sends rangers from their different national parks to get trained in the Galapagos um, to, to... really learn from that model and apply it everywhere else. So you're absolutely right. What you said is it is being done.
1: It just needs to be done everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of listeners, and I will admit I did not realize that, or should I put this as a question? The Galapagos are an archipelago that are part of Ecuador or just under their umbrella? Like, is it part of the country? It is. Yes, it's
0: part of the country. It's uh, one of its provinces. However, a lot of rules and regulations, um, and even a lot of policy, is different in Galapagos. So it's not an independent entity. You know the elections are, are essentially the same, uh, but there is an entity that governs over Galapagos. Uh, that you know the the laws in Galapagos apply a little bit differently, but they are part of Ecuador, and you cannot fly directly to the Galapagos from anywhere in the world, you have to first fly into mainland Ecuador to either the city of Quito, the capital, or Guayaquil. Those are the two cities with international airports. And from there, take a domestic flight out to the Galapagos. So you you essentially have to do you know customs and enter the country through the mainland and then fly out.
1: That's good. Now, sorry, you're just prompting other questions. If someone's got that great yacht, can they just sort of land on the Galapagos, yes. bypassing the mainland?
0: Yes. However, they need to take have these very complex permits granted before they do that. So they can arrive directly from anywhere in the world. And it is very common. You often oh. see these mega yachts from you know uh, very wealthy people just touring the Galapagos. But it's with a permit that's granted by the park, with an a set itinerary that they have to follow, with a captain... Uh, authorized by the park, who co-captains right the 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 ship together with a, you know the ship's private captain, and they follow a set itinerary. And of course, as we said before, because they're visiting the national park, they have to have a, a national park guide as well. So, but you can do that, yes.
1: <laughs> I was hoping the answer was no, <laughs> but at least it sounds like they've got all the uh, all the che- checks in place. Yeah.
0: And sorry, it's very pricey. So they, and that really helps, you know, to keep the park the way it is. Is, you know, those, you have to pay quite a a bit amount of money to do that. And the park uses that money really well to maintain, you know, the infrastructure and and the guides and the reintroduction program. So there is a benefit
1: to that too. Okay. Let's go to to Quasar. (laughs) Our listeners are Boomer Women. What can we expect? on a tour of the Galapagos with Quasar and I love your website that I love that your website says because you're an adventurer not a tourist.
0: Exactly so the first thing you can expect with Quasar is that 70 percent of all our employees are women and this is something you know that it was never directly meant to be like this but just the way my mother is and how involved she was throughout the history of the company and the different departments it She just attracted adventurous women, you know, and from all over the country uh, to work for the company. So we, and I'm talking also about my two brothers. My mom has three children, three boys only. We work in the company, but uh, you know, men are a minority in this company. So that's the first thing you can expect. The second thing is we really take pride in offering trips for people who, as you read there on the website, consider themselves adventurers and not tourists, right? So it's not for people who want to check the Galapagos off their their bucket list. It's not for people who want to go and take some pictures and then say, you know, what's next. It is, these are adventures for people who really want to immerse themselves in the wilds of the Galapagos. We hear so many times, you know, the story of people saying, ever since I read and studied about the Galapagos in high school, it has been a dream of mine. And these are you know, people in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that made this lifelong dream come true. And so it's these are adventures for people with that kind of passion. And if you haven't heard of the Galapagos before, if you love the outdoors, if you love wildlife, if you are in for these magical wildlife encounters, Um, then the Galapagos is for you. You know, I, in the 37 years that Quasar has been operating, I don't think there's been a single guest that just hasn't been blown away by what they see and experience in the Galapagos. the, The islands are truly magical. As I say, they always put on a show, all right? The islands are always putting on a show, but depending on who you travel with and the guides that you have, it's the difference between getting that seat way up, you know, in the nosebleed section or you know those front row seats that's the main difference it's the expertise and the guides I would say.
1: I'm going to add here too that when I scroll down your Galapagos page I saw a calendar of sorts with the highlights and the climate for each month of the year so people can decide what they most want to experience and book accordingly.
0: Yeah exactly the great thing about the Galapagos though as opposed to many other um, wildlife destinations around the world is that because they're located right on the equator there is no better or worse time to go. The weather and is very constant. It's, um, you can expect, we do Celsius, you guys do Fahrenheit. So no, no, no I'm trying. Canada, we
1: do Celsius. <laughs> oh, you, uh, there you go.
0: So, you know, between 20 and about 30 all year. So it's very comfortable, extremely comfortable, um, sun all year. Um, The water is great. Sometimes it's a little bit chilly because the Humboldt current that's coming all the way from Antarctica bathes the archipelago, but we provide wetsuits for guests. But the great thing about that current is it comes packed with nutrients and that gives way to, you know, these huge pots of dolphins, you know, the whales, the whale sharks. Snorkeling for me is one of the most fantastic activities in the Galapagos, but sorry, I, I digress. Going back to your question you can visit Galapagos any time of the year. But there is, I do want to call out maybe to the listeners, there's a time of year that we call the secret season in Galapagos for one particular reason. 60% of international travelers who go to the Galapagos are from North America. And right after the big summer holidays and before Christmas, that is not a popular time of the year to travel in the United States or Canada, right? It's it's not one. Of, so it's all based on demand that the Galapagos, you know, has less demand at that time of year, which means companies often, you know, have certain specials in place. Like for example, we give free Galapagos air at that time of year, but it's not an incentive because perhaps, you know, half of the wildlife migrated somewhere or because it's cold. It's simply a demand thing. So if you have the flexibility to travel between September and early December, that's the time of year when you should go to the Galapagos. Because not only will you see everything that people see in every other time of the year, but you'll also be able to save um, as well. So there's an expert tip for you.
1: <laughs> okay. And it's December when this is going to air. So uh, there's lots of time to uh make a a, well you you said it shouldn't be bucket list but I think it would be a great bucket list experience just to start saving our pennies for next September that's great okay just a little bit sideways you also have tours to Patagonia
0: yes so about um, 11 years ago I met this wonderful Chilean woman in Ecuador at a wedding and uh, I followed her I followed her down to Chile and When I started to live here, I went down to see Patagonia. And of course, you know, travel has always been my blood. I I was working at Quasar in the Galapagos side of the business, you know, when, when, when I moved down to Chile and I saw what was available in Patagonia. And even though Chile is, as a country, a lot more advanced and developed than Ecuador is, when it came to tourism, I was proud to say that Ecuador was much Farther ahead, so I had many ideas, and I had seen many things in Ecuador that needed, you know, or could be implemented in Chile, and that's how I started Quasar's Patagonia branch. And so, as with the Galapagos, this is again for adventurers, not for tourists. We don't do the ships down here in Patagonia; we do an overland safari because these national parks, you know, they're they're meant to be explored by land. But it's the same concept, you know, small groups away from the crowds, very intimate interaction with the wildlife and uh, expert guides. Of course, you know, our guides really make the difference between a good and an exceptional experience. But we basically took the Galapagos concept, which was so successful in the way we did travel there and implemented in Patagonia. And our Patagonia tours are also extremely, extremely successful. And, you know, for anybody listening here, Patagonia is absolutely for everybody, you know, whether you're young, old, whether you hike, or you don't hike, whether you like photos, it's just for all types of travelers of all ages and stages, um, you really get to customize. And that's one of the wonderful things about Quasar's Tours in Patagonia is, you know, we listen to you kind of like going to a doctor's appointment before we give you, you know, the diagnosis and the prescription will take all the time that's necessary to understand how you want to experience what kind of traveler you are, what your budget is, and we'll put together a trip that fits your needs perfectly so that you can see Patagonia in a way that, you know, the way you want to see it. So, yeah, those are the other tours that we offer down here in this part of the world.
1: Okay. It occurred to me that I have done a fair bit of research coming into talking with you. Could you tell our listeners where Patagonia is, please? Like what part of South America?
0: Yeah. So, Patagonia itself is huge. It's almost the bottom third, the the southern part of South America. It's huge. However, we focus on southern Patagonia. And southern Patagonia is divided from northern northern Patagonia by the southern ice field. And this is the third largest concentration of ice and fresh water in the world after Antarctica and Greenland. So this huge block of ice. Pretty much divides Chile in two, making it impossible to cross. For example, by vehicle, you need to navigate the fjords or go in through Argentina. But, anyways, the below the su- the southern ice field, you have southern Patagonia, shared by the countries of Chile and Argentina, and that's the bottom tip. That's where we do our trips. And just like you know, in the extremes of the Earth, places maybe like Alaska or Iceland, the The drama that you see here, the the dramatic landscapes, the, you know, you see these granite towers coming out of these electric blue lakes, the skies are lit red, you know, there's something about the colors here, the lenticular clouds, it's just, it's, it's crazy for photographers and for people who like beautiful scenery, Patagonia is really out of this world.
1: Okay, I think I saw on the website that you're the marketing manager. <laughs> you, you are really good at your job. <laughs> I'll, I'll write your mother and say that you need a raise. <laughs> okay, you, now you also have tours of Ecuador mainland, is that correct? Yes, so
0: as we said, you know, the Galapagos belong to Ecuador. Okay. Everybody who visits the Galapagos must first spend at least a day in Ecuador. But most of our guests, you know, if they're making all the way down to Galapagos, they spend it. Uh, an extra few days in Ecuador, getting to see everything that this beautiful South American country has to offer. In Ecuador, we offer tours of, you know, the Andes region, being able to see these indigenous cultures, like the people there from Otavalo, visiting these historic uh, haciendas in the highlands. It's uh, a very picturesque part of Ecuador. Then you also have the Amazon basin. We like to say that a combination of Galapagos plus the Amazon is the best wildlife safari in the Western Hemisphere because it's truly unique. You know, you can go from monkeys, anacondas, uh, caimans, uh, spiders, the size of your head, probably, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> all, just the last <laughs> <laughs> all the way to Galapagos. All the way to Galapagos. And you can see that in one trip. So for people who are wildlife lovers, the combination of Amazon plus Galapagos
1: very unique. Okay, I got to stop and rub my arms now because you just gave me goosebumps (laughs) when you said the spiders that big. Uh, Okay, (laughs) I'm going to go from spiders to COVID. I read somewhere that COVID was actually a good thing for the Galapagos as it gave the islands and, and probably all of the areas that you cover a break from humans. Is that correct?
0: Yes, yes, we definitely saw that it couldn't have been worse for companies like Quasar, of course, Absolutely. but for the destinations, it was wonderful. Like, for example, just to give you an example, there's actually a documentary on Netflix, like here in Santiago, the capital of Chile, where, where I live. During COVID, during lockdown, when there were people, weren't people on the streets, Pumas started roaming the streets. And people would, you know, their, their cameras, their backyard cameras would capture Pumas, you know, walking. They had come down from the mountains. So this sort of like reintegration of wildlife in spaces that were originally theirs, right, happened. And you would see condors, you know, just perched on people's balconies uh, here in Santiago. And so in Galapagos, sort of the same thing happened where a lot of the visitor sites, just you saw a lot of the wildlife kind of go back to it. And as I said, they were never afraid of it. But of course, the birds would not nest in the trails after COVID, like then the trails were packed with the nest. They even had to divert certain trails to make sure not to disturb the wildlife in Galapagos. So that that was a very good thing. The only bad thing about COVID in the Galapagos was that because there were no ships, you know, navigating around the archipelago, an illegal Chinese fishing fleet entered the Galapagos Marine Reserve. And they, it was bad. Like to to the point that, um, you know, we work in, Closely with the Galapagos whale shark project. And these guys, they tag whale sharks to monitor their migration patterns and just monitor whale sharks in general. And they recorded at this time, you know, a whale shark that had doubled its speed, its normal speed, like in the water swimming. And what that meant was that it was fished and it was brought on a ship. And then obviously the, the transmitter lost signal. They basically took it out and destroyed it. And so there's that was clear evidence that they were legally fishing in Galapagos water, mainly for sharks, you know, hammerhead sharks, Galapagos sharks for the the shark fin soup, and of course, whale sharks. So that was uh, unfortunately something that was sad uh, for the Galapagos. But as soon as, you know, tourism picked back up again, the boats would actually push out these illegal fishing vessels outside of the Galapagos marine.
1: That's a part of life, I suppose, that people just don't think about in terms of poachers, pirates, whatever you want to call them, that are a very real thing. And yes. I guess when something is as rich in <laughs> sounds like everything as the Galapagos, then yeah, given the opportunity, boom they move right in. Yeah.
0: For for fishing, it's it's literally a paradise. I when I was young, you used to be um you used to be allowed to fish off of like commercial vessels like ours. So I would go out fishing for lunch with the crew at six in the morning, and I would come back with, you know, tunas, wahoo, cod, like you can't imagine, in one hour. And and that was, you know, we had fish for the whole week. Um, So I know how rich the Galapagos waters are. And, and, you know, for fishing, uh, there is a lot of sustainable fishing, but again, there is a lot of illegal fishing as well happening in the the Galapagos Islands, and that's... um, a constant battle that is taking place there in the archipelago.
1: So perhaps I should delete that part out of the podcast so people don't know. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Quasar has three pillars of sustainability. Tell us about those, please. Yes.
0: So sustainability is really um, key to everything that we do. Even though, you know, today it's like an official term and there's a lot of attention going to it, We've, we've always done this, you know, from the very beginning, the operation was sustainable. They always, my parents made sure that, you know, that we always collaborated closely with the Charles Darwin Foundation, that the engines were efficient, that, you know, waste was recycled and things like that. But today we've really defined this into and divided it into three pillars. So uh, we're sustainable on the social pillar in the sense that we support the local communities. These Beautiful places that we take you to see, whether in Galapagos or in Patagonia, there are people who live there, right, and who depend on the islands for to to live and thrive. We work with the school, for example, for disabled children in Galapagos that was up until about five years ago heavily underfunded, and they didn't have you know the supplies or the teachers or the care that uh, the kids needed. Quasar now has made sure to take. That's cool under its wing and, you know, it's fully financed today. Their campus um, has grown. They have been able to take in more children. We also, you know, there's a big problem of domestic abuse um, in the Galapagos that when you go there as a tourist or as a traveler, you never hear about that, right? You're you're having a wonderful time in the Galapagos National Park. and But, you know, all the crew members that are on these boats, like all the people who work in the park, you know, them and their families, they live in, in the towns. They're in Galapagos, and there's a big problem of domestic abuse. So WAZR also supports this organization that is there trying to help mainly women and children overcome this and, you know, have better uh, situations. So those are only a couple of examples, but we do this in all our destinations. We take care of, you know, the people. and And we do realize that at least in Galapagos, the children they are the ones who will be sitting you know, at the head of the national park 20 years from now. They are the ones who are going to be in charge of the laws and the rules and regulations. So if we take care of them, they will take care of us and the Galapagos you know, in the future. That's on the social pillar. Then on the environmental pillar, it's all about taking care of the environment and the wildlife, You know, the support of organizations like the Charles Darwin Foundation, like the Galapagos Whale Shark Project that I mentioned earlier. In Patagonia, there was a massive fire in 2011 that burned over a third of the of Torres del Paine National Park in Chile and Quasar supports uh, Reforest Patagonia which is the largest reforestation effort in the history of Chile there's a forest that we sponsor there all our guests plant a tree in that forest and we do our bit you know to be able to take care of the environment Um, all our operations are carbon neutral so in that respect you know, very conscious about, you know, the, the environment as well. And then finally, the last one is the economic pillar. And this is about making sure that we buy local, that we support the local communities. As an entity, for example, operating in the Galapagos, it's a lot cheaper to buy everything from the continent and fly it in. Anything that you can think of it's is cheaper. However, on purpose, of course, we buy... As much as we can. Everything that is available in the Galapagos from the locals. We buy it, we support them and their families. It of course raises our, our cost to operate, but that is the cost of you know being economically responsible. Uh, and we do that with all our destinations. If we can, we always prefer local and and that's how we support. So those are the three pillars. They are ingrained in Quasar's DNA and In all all our destinations, we make sure to carefully attend to each one of the three.
1: Well, you have real numbers on your website, and I have them here. Uh, Over 500 native species protected, over 200 jobs created for local communities, and over 10,000 acres reforested. So I would say that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Okay, what haven't we talked about that you want people to know Quasar, the Galapagos, uh, your mother? I don't know. Tell us.
0: Well, my my mother continues, even though we've tried to have her take a break and rest. She's now 71 years old. She continues. She's a trooper. She doesn't want to go anywhere. She wants to work in, in Quasar and be involved with the Galapagos forever. So she's still very, very active. Um, the only reason she's not in this seat talking to you is uh, because she had a unfortunate accident she's okay but you know i'm sure she would love to to talk to you at some point if you're interested um so she's still there and then but the other thing i want to sort of remind people uh and this has a lot to do with what we last spoke as a traveler you have the choice of who you buy your trips from right what tour company and so this is essentially like voting, right? Your vote makes a difference. You choose the people who then lead um, the country and you should also have a preference for companies that are socially, environmentally and economically responsible, right? So do a little bit of homework next time that you're traveling. Ask the company that you want to book with, you know, what their sustainability agenda is like. I always like to tell people that they can ask one simple question is, you know, are you a sustainable company or not 99% Will say yes. And when you say yes, is uh, let me know what sustainability initiatives you do. And immediately you can tell the ones who are just starting to like make up what they do or the ones who really know what's happening. All these projects that I mentioned, the Quasar does, you know, from the lady that helps us do the beds on the ships to, you know, our general manager, uh, to our guides, they all know exactly what's going on in the company, they know all the projects we need everybody's input and they all need to buy in to this. They all need to be part of this mission and have the same purpose for, for Quasar to really operate and work the way it does. And I think that's part of the reason why Quasar has been so successful is because everybody is aligned behind the exact same goals, the same mission and working with the same deep, deep
1: purpose. I think too, it sounds like it's an easy vision to, embrace as an employee no matter where in the big scheme of things you fit uh but also once you embrace a vision like that is you almost become a bit of a, a, a policeman police person for the company you know like if you see somebody doing something they doesn't fit you call them out on it and say no come on
0: <laughs> exactly we 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 use term ambassadors um everybody who works at quasar is ambassador for this mission and when everybody's aligned it's incredible how this spreads and we'd love we have no problem and we do this in galapagos a lot there none of the things we do at least on the sustainability front are top secret we'll share it with anybody if they want to duplicate it if they wanted it. the more that we can get people doing the better it's not a greenwashing thing it's not a part of the marketing agenda right to say that we do this and not do anything it's we do it for the real reason which is you know to have a positive impact on the destinations and as much as we can help other companies do the same thing uh, we do. I
1: was just thinking that you should almost have a training school for tourism companies in general you know just uh, really thinking about all those facets of sustainability because The the world desperately needs more sustainability partners.
0: Exactly. And, you know, one of the simple things is a lot of people say, you know, they think, okay, if I want to protect the environment, how do I go about creating, you know, a nonprofit that is, there are already all these nonprofits doing this. You don't have to, you know, start from scratch. You just have to do your homework, find the right one and support that one in the best way possible, they'll tell you what they need. And often it's as simple as, you know, maybe even telling your guests um, to bring something along with them, bring a laptop, maybe for the school, bring, um, you know, clothing and everything makes a difference. So it doesn't matter how small or big your your travel company is, you you can make a difference, but you need to sort of align your people in this mission and, you know, find the right, Nonprofits are the right entities that are doing the right thing in the destinations and support them.
1: One question that occurred to me a couple of days ago, and I didn't put in my notes, is whether there is such a thing. Giving you another aspect to your company, perhaps, uh, as as working tours, where people pay the the tour rate, whatever it is, but they have some sort of expertise that they can help in some way when they get there, whether teaching children or science projects or something is there such a thing or yes oh okay
0: very smart smart for you but yes and unfortunately not many but we work with one it's called conservation vip and these are people who pay just like any any guest and they come on these trips and then they stay for a week uh helping the different places so for example uh we've had People come on our trips, not not directly with conservation, but VIP, but that, you know, they they specialize, they were special needs experts. So they helped implement a lot of these things in the special needs school. Or we had somebody who was an expert in biodigesters. I don't know if you know what these things are, but it's kind of like these huge bags, right, where you uh, add um, organic matter and it decomposes it through you know, the use of bacteria and things like that, creating methane gas that then is used to heat you know, for like water heaters or for a gas stove. So it's all naturally produced because in a place like Galapagos, they need to ship the natural gas cylinders from the mainland to the Galapagos. So just imagine the carbon emissions from doing that. To use the gas in Galapagos and then ship back the empty cylinders to the mainland, it's crazy. So these biodigesters of this organic waste that is already being produced is now producing the natural gas for water heaters and, and stoves and in, in places like this. And so we we did the first prog- the first pilot project. We put two in the school and they're working incredibly well. So and that was thanks to a guest that we bought who was a specialist in these biodigesters. And we're like, you know, what can you bring to the table? He told us about these and we're in. And today the project is a reality.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> I love stories like that. One of the reasons I, I ask that sort of a question is uh, on my website, I have a page of, you know, for those people, they're boomers. If they have the financial means and the time, they might want to do something like that. So I'm going to get the name of that company and make sure that's added onto that page. Because uh, Yes,
0: they do amazing work. They're actually in they'll del it right now, restoring one of the most popular trails to the base of the towers people don't realize they think you can just walk up any way you want but the amount of erosion from all these tourists you know going up on the trails and of course wind in patagonia it can get dangerous too and these guys are rebuilding that trail with volunteers so that's one of the things that they do they do a million more but they're a great entity They're called conservation vip and I'll, I'll be happy to provide you with their link
1: yeah yeah, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, first of all, I wanted to talk about your mother for a minute because she's probably like me and many of the women I know is like, this is what 70 looks like. Get used to it. <laughs> we still have lots of work to do. And one of my taglines is this grandma's off her rocker. So, you know, that typical <laughs> picture of granny sitting in the rocker on the front porch. No, that's not us. <laughs> so
0: Exactly. I- You've. You nailed it. That's my mother. She can't sit still. Like, what's next? She finishes one thing and starts, you know, with something new. So it's just a matter of time before she shows up with another crazy idea. And often we go with them and most of the time they're extremely successful.
1: Well, you know, some of the, my guests who are also of this age use the word crone. And I love the word. I think it's just got this beauty to it because not only are we still active and smart and all those things, we have experience on our side. Um, so there's a certain wisdom that comes with that. So, you know, your mother's crazy, and I'm using air quotes there, crazy ideas are probably actually fairly well thought out and will work before she even puts them on the table.
0: Exactly. Yeah, she's thinking years ahead of us. She knows the intricacies of her ideas before we start figuring things out along the way, but somehow, and I think you're exactly right, her experience and her wisdom is what gives her that instinct, you know, to come up with these things that are, are very impactful for for Galapagos, for the destination, of course, for Quasar.
1: Well, she probably can't say much or do much about her three babies, but her three human babies, but this other baby of hers, she's been... You know, taking care of it for a lot of years, so <laughs> it's the one thing that she still guides and uh, and protects. So, oh yes,
0: yes, and you use the perfect term. It's her babies. It's it's brought up in the dinner table more than her own babies. <laughs> so <laughs> she she lives and breathes Quasar and Galapagos. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. May I ask you a personal question? Of course. I, I have a personal question here, but before I move on, you talked about following that woman to Santiago. Is that the woman you married?
0: It is. Oh, she's geez. the mother of my three kids.
1: <laughs> okay, that's great. You know, inquiring minds need to know. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: It, yeah, sorry. No,
1: no, go ahead.
0: It was crazy thing. You know, again, it's it's sort of these, Things that I, I said, you know, just packing your bags and moving to another country was just. But I think I get that from my mother too. Sometimes you you get the this instinct, and and I said, you know, I have to see how this turns out, or otherwise I won't forgive myself for not trying. And and you know, here I am, and that resulted too in the Patagonia program, and so the the growth of Quasar. So it's all all part of this master plan. I think.
1: There you go. It sounds perfectly logical to me. I'm on the West coast of Canada and my son-in-law is from Madrid and he lives crosstown with my daughter. So there you <laughs> go. <perfect sense>. yeah. <laughs> okay. The, the real question I wanted to ask you is you grew up with the Galapagos islands, basically being your backyard. Sounds pretty idyllic. You're married three children. Where do you take your family when you go on holiday?
0: That's a, uh... That's a great question. There is a saying in Spanish that says, en casa de herrero, cuchillo de palo. So in the blacksmith's house, they have wooden knives. That's the direct translation. I I don't know if there's a saying similar in English. But I I take a lot more time planning other people's travels than I do my own because I do that day in and day out. Today, my travels are mainly kid-friendly destinations. But yes, you know, that was an exaggeration. I definitely like to go to strange, adventurous places. Like I've been with my wife to, you know, the Arctic Circle, for example, in Alaska, Aurora chasing over there. Uh, We've been fortunate to to be able to do barters with other companies. So, you know, a cabin in Galapagos in exchange for, so seeing places, you know, like Greenland or Antarctica is, is really a dream. I try to balance out, you know, adventure and relaxation. With kids right now, they need to be, you know, kid-friendly destinations. But my oldest daughter, she's six, she's ready. Like, she wants to go on these, like, amazing places. Next year, I'm going to take her on these very difficult hikes in Patagonia, 13 miles for a seven-year-old, like, up to the base of the Towers. I'm, I'm sure she'll be able to do it. And if she can't, you know, it's a learning experience. But I I was taking, to, when I was little, to all these strange and different places you know most of I remember at school you know kids would come back where'd you go you know Disney World or you know somewhere else and I was you know I had gone to something somewhere really strange you know that just was in in our maybe you know in our geography classes or something like that we learn about those places so I was very fortunate and I tried to do the same thing for my family so as adventurous as it can be that's I think the answer
1: Oh, that's great! Uh, I am the mother who also had, there. My three. I had three children. Also, as they turned eighteen and finished high school, it was like, go have an adventure, like get out of here, go experience the world. So, uh, yeah. yes,
0: I, I use used it. You know, when I graduated from college, it was actually the brother of one of my best friends. He said, you know, you're still young. Take a year off, and just go see the world. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'll have time for that. You know, I was only, what, like 21 or 22. I'll have many years to do that. Never again, right? I'm I'm 41 now, and I was never able to take the year off. Life gets in the way, you know, work and things like that. So I strongly recommend what you just said, either right after high school or right after college, take a year. The world will wait, you know, jobs will wait, but what you will grow as a person you know seeing new people experiencing new cultures going to strange places getting out of your comfort zone doing things that scare you that really makes a difference and turns you i think into a much better person so whoever you come back as you know after that year sabbatical i'm sure it's it'll lead you in a different path in life and i think that's very positive
1: well and i will add to all those young people going off on adventures to to do what my children did and don't tell your mother what you did until it's done in your safe home.
0: <laughs> That's another yeah
1: website. <laughs> okay, ah, uh, where do we find you? Of uh, or find Qua- it, Now do we just find quasar? or Can we find your mother on the world? Yeah, I mean, her can, story sounds amazing.
0: You can. So our website is quasar q u a s a r e x for expeditions quasarex.com. ex.com. Her email is Dolores at QuasarEx.com. She'll be happy to hear from anybody directly. I'm sure. Mine is Fernando at QuasarEx.com. But if you're interested, you know, in these destinations and seeing what we offer, go to our website or follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. On Facebook, it's the handle is at Quasar Expeditions, and on Instagram is at QuasarEx. But you can also find the links to those on the website. But there, you can find us. You can talk to our team we'd be happy to, you know, have anybody who wants to see these destinations and and do it the Quasar way. This is very unique.
1: Is that one of your catchphrases? Do it the Quasar (laughs) way?
0: The Quasar way,
1: yeah. That's right. (laughs) Okay, good, good. All right. Is there anything else before I wrap? I've I've enjoyed this conversation so much. You're so, er, like, you're interesting. You personally, but also you, the company. So, uh,
0: yeah. I really enjoyed this. I just to anybody, travel as much as you can. I think there's a saying, you know, travel is the only thing you buy that makes you richer. And I think that's absolutely right. So go out there and travel the world.
1: You just reminded me too, that I was going to tell you that in English, the phrase is the cobbler's children go shoeless. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And then my last phrase is just this place will always be here to come back to. So yeah, go have your adventure good okay website link is in the show notes all the links will be on your page at our website so that's great listeners if you have thoughts on today's show you must have thoughts on today's show talk to us leave comments where you're listening or if you're listening as I said that I just got the goosebumps again because I'm thinking you got to have thoughts about that spider as big as your head Oh, <laughs> anyways, okay, leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, talk to us there. Or ask Fernando or Dolores the burning question I missed asking. Leave stars and reviews where you can, they help us grow. Share this episode. The Galapagos Islands are like real live myths for many people. It's December. An Adventure to the Galapagos would be a fabulous addition to your list of New Year's resolutions. And you can do it the Quasar way. (laughs) Get to add that now. The other thing is click the link to Quasar's website. The main page actually has a slideshow of experiences that Fernando and his family, family, both business and and personal, share with their clients. It's really beautiful, the the slides. Uh, Fernando Diaz. Well... er, Welcome, welcome to the Blue World Podcast, <laughs> Fernando Diaz. Thank you for being my guest today. I'm pretty sure I'm going to use it again. You've added something else to the bucket list of many listeners.
0: Thank you, Agnes. It's been thank wonderful you. being here.
1: Have a great rest of. You, you too. Bye.